Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. We are back on Know Your Bible and glad that you've joined us today. We're going to be answering viewers' questions for the next 30 minutes in hopes that we all know our Bible a little bit better. Uh, that's the way we do things here, which is a little different than most religious TV programs. Uh, some people tell you what they think you need to know, and we ask you what you'd like to know. So there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us, give us a question, tell us what's on your mind, uh, maybe a specific verse or a doctrine or a teaching that you've always wondered about, we'll try to find you an answer. We'll put it in the stack of questions and get to it just as quickly as we can uh, and try to help you know your Bible a little bit better. I'm Steve Tandy and my partner Toby Levering is here. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go, and we've uh, got one for our viewers like we do each week, so here's yours for the day. Uh, what two men passed the injured man before the Good Samaritan helped him? Famous story Jesus told. Uh, the Good Samaritan helped a fellow, but two people refused to help him, and uh, we'll find out who they were at the end of the program, see if you know. All right, first question I drew it this week. Let's go. I know someone who is caught up in the flat earth movement. He says the Bible proves it. What does the Bible say about that? Uh, well, not a whole lot of people still believe the earth is flat, but there are a few, and uh, they're pretty adamant about it, uh, write about it a lot, and we get letters from people that try to convince us the earth is still flat. Uh, I don't get too excited about it. A lot of people thought the world was flat and are going to be just fine. Uh, the ancients looked around and the earth, earth looked flat. Uh, I think a lot of them probably visited Kansas or West Texas and it looks pretty flat if you're there. Uh, Abraham probably believed the world was flat. David probably believed the world was flat. Uh, and they're going to be just fine. So uh, luckily we're saved by faith and not by scientific accuracy. Uh, so if your friends got this uh, flat earth hang up, that's you know, kind of strange these days since we have uh, pictures from satellites and from uh, the moon and every place else. And the earth pretty well conclusively is a, a circular, uh, is a globe. Uh, but... What's the Bible say about it is what our viewer asks. So let's do a couple of things. And here's where the problem. The Bible does have a few verses that sound like, well, maybe the earth is flat. The most famous one is in Revelation 7.1. And uh, John said, this way, they said it this way. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. 
All right, some people read that and that supports the flat earth theory. Well, there's four corners to the earth. Uh, we think he was speaking uh, symbolically just like we do today. Uh, you can go north, south, east, or west and go to the four corners of the world and well, that's the way we talk about it even though we know the earth is round. But the Bible also says, gives us a few places where it obviously knows that the earth is round. Probably the most famous is Isaiah 40 and verse 22, talking about God. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Uh, so you can find a verse to say square or round. Uh, I think one's symbolic and one's pretty accurate. So that's what the Bible says about it. All right. A question regarding um, abortion. Why is the church so against abortion when the scripture says that life begins with your first breath? Well, had to do a little thinking on this. This one I didn't exactly know what verse they were referring to. I think they're referring to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, which is the creation account, which says that um, uh, God breathed into Adam, uh, into his nostrils, and man became a living being. Uh, of course, that creation example is an exceptional one. <laughs> we understand that uh, after after that unique creation of Adam and Eve, uh, that humans began to procreate as God commanded them, and to go forth and to multiply. And uh, so, in that sense, then the Scripture has uh, several things to say about uh, the unborn child and whether that child is living or not. And it seems to make the case quite strongly, um, that human beings are special in the way God created them. Now, let's start in Genesis. We already mentioned Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. But let me note something here about human beings being created. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, when we're talking about human beings, we're talking about something very different than the rest of natural creation. Uh, human beings are made in the image of God. Uh, that's why the church is so pro-life, because God is pro-life. Uh, because God made life. He's the originator of all life. He's the creator. And especially when it comes to human beings, all are made in the image of God, male and female, just as God created them. And that's why this issue is so important, because of, of not just uh, being adamant on an issue, uh, but, but understanding that all human beings are special, created by God. Let's move to uh, the, the life in the womb. Psalm chapter 139 is an excellent psalm to read in its totality, but he talks about how God knew him uh, even before he was born. He says, For you, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. <clears throat> Human beings <clears throat> are known by God, created by God, made in God's image, just as precious, just as important to the Lord, uh, made in His image. Um, and that's before they ever take a single breath. Uh, that has to do with the fact that they're made in the image of God. So we believe that, that life begins at conception. Uh, you can ask the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah wrote at the beginning of his book, uh, in verse 4 of chapter 1, he says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. See, God knew who Jeremiah was, who he created him to be, his strengths, his weaknesses, and what he was going to do. And, and God knew that before Jeremiah took a single breath. Uh, you can look at the account of the birth of Jesus uh, in, uh, and, and even uh, his cousin John, Luke chapter, chapter 1, describes uh, John leaping in the womb. Uh, the evidence that life was real. Of course, any mother who's uh, had a child um, understands this process very well, that there is certainly a life uh, before the first breath is taken. And so we believe human beings are made in God's image and that life begins at conception and God's worked in the womb and has created each child in his image. And so that's why the church uh, is so pro-life, because... That's where it all begins, that God is the author of life. I hope that helps you. All right. Explain Exodus 20, verse 5, about God punishing children for their parents' sins. Okay. Our viewers brought up a verse here where it does say God punishes the sins of the fathers uh, for three or four generations. Sounds really bad, doesn't it? But great lesson in reading the whole verse and reading a little context. So let's read the whole verse first. Exodus 20 and verse 5 says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Oh, we always leave that part off when we're trying to prove how bad God is. But that verse says that he's talking about people who hate him and if you read just another verse or two around there, you'll find out he's talking specifically about the sin of idolatry, specifically about people who decide we're not going to worship Jehovah God, we're going to make our own God, we're going to have an idol, and we're going to worship that instead of Jehovah God. And God says, I'm a jealous God, and the punishment for that will last three or four generations. Now, He's telling the truth there because we know once somebody in the Old Testament went off to worship idols, it took three or four generations before people turned back to worshiping God. Uh, children who are taught something uh, grow up that way and teach their children that. And until things got so bad, people didn't start looking back to Jehovah God. So he's really just stating fact here that if you turn to idols, if you, if you turn away from Jehovah God, it's going to mess things up for three or four generations. Now, why do I read it that way? Because I balance what the Bible says everywhere with what it says somewhere. Exodus 25 sounds like he punishes children for the sins of the father. But there are verses that say, no, that's not true. So my only conclusion can be, all right, God's saying this problem will last for three or four generations. Let's look at one verse that clearly uh, discounts the problem of God punishing children for what their fathers did. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. Ezekiel said, the soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son. 
The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked man will be charged to him. All right, so very clear. It's per personal responsibility. Son doesn't inherit the guilt of the father. So it's possible that if a man turned to idolatry and his son realized, no, I should be worshiping Jehovah God and continued to do right instead of following his father, there's no punishment to the second generation or the third or the fourth either. Uh, so what's Exodus 25 mean? It's got to mean that this problem lasts for three or four generations. But God doesn't punish children for what their fathers did. Now, let me add this quickly. Uh, sometimes children suffer the consequences of the sins of the parents. Uh, not just sometimes, almost always. Uh, we see that in society all the time. Uh, parents who gamble away the uh, life savings, who are, are uh, addicted, who have all sorts of problems, children are going to have problems too. So we do suffer the consequences, but not the guilt of the parents. Um, okay, let me invite you to study the Bible. I forgot what I was supposed to do next. Uh, well, let's talk about studying the Bible a little bit, and we do that here for 30 minutes, but uh, we don't get much covered. Uh, we'd like you to study the Bible at home. We think that'd be good for you, for all of us, to have some home Bible study time, and we've got some tools that make that easy for folks. If you'd like to get started, uh, we'll send you this set of lessons in the mail one at a time and let you work through them and then we'll score them for you and return it. Once you get through those eight lessons, you can go on to some more advanced courses that'll keep you studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. And we've got some online courses that we think are great ways to uh, study uh, just without waiting for the mail and the paper. If you'd like to study online, just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and uh, you can be studying the Bible very quickly and uh, as fast as you want or as slow as you want. We'll assist you in that. So those are the ways to study the Bible. Uh, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org or just call the phone number on the website that's on the bottom of the screen. Tell us you'd like a free Bible course and we'll get it started for you. You can know your Bible a little bit better, we hope. Okay, a question about the difference between Christianity and Judaism, um, and the question, or the question is, what is the difference between Christianity and Judaism? Well, if you read the the whole Bible, you understand uh, this idea of uh, an uh, agreement between God and His people. Um, this word that we call covenant, uh, the covenant, for example, between God and Noah, that He would, you know, going to save the earth through Noah and his family. Uh, by means of an ark, <clears throat> uh, the covenant that God made uh, with the descendants of Abraham. He promised Abraham that he would have descendants as numerous as the, the, the sun and the stars, and that through him all nations on earth would be blessed. And that was a covenant that God fulfilled uh, through his descendants the Israel, uh, of Israel, um, the Israelites. And so God again and again makes these covenants, well, Judaism is that covenant between God and Israel, between God and those who descended, who could mark their uh, genealogy, all, trace their genealogy all the way back uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
and they kept meticulous records of those genealogies because uh, that promise was basically for those people alone. If you were not uh, the descendant of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you were not of the tribe of Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, you were a Gentile. Okay, and there was that agreement wasn't that covenant was not for you. So when you sign up for the Bible correspondence course, this is why this is the first course, uh, because so many people fail to understand this distinction. The Old Testament uh, was written as that covenant between God and the people of Israel. In the New Testament, this this promise, this arrangement, this agreement leads us to the Savior that's predicted all the way from Genesis 3 forward of a coming Messiah. The Jews believed there was a Messiah to come, um, but the scriptures point toward Christ. And so Christianity, the followers, disciples of Christ, are people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. Uh, that's who Jesus himself claimed to be. And uh, so it's, it's kind of a binary decision. Either you believe it or you don't. Now, uh, Christianity and Judaism share a lot of similarities in that, you know, uh, serve the same God, uh, believe in the same, uh, what we would call the Old Testament scriptures. <clears throat> uh, we believe that those were written by God. We believe in the, the prophets and the writings. Uh, Christianity, however, believes that all of that was, was written and done and, and led us to Christ. And that now, through Christ, uh, we can have a relationship with God by faith in Him and by obedience to what Christ called us to do. And so that's the probably the essence of big division uh, between Judaism and Christianity. Now, there are people who came out of Judaism who did put their faith in Christ, but there are some in Judaism who still observe that old covenant and do not believe that Christ is the Messiah. And that's, that's the big difference uh, between Christianity and Judaism. Let's look at a scripture from... Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 and following. Uh, now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian. Uh, one translation says our schoolmaster, our tutor, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so Christianity is all about this fundamental belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he was crucified on the cross, and three days later he arose to show his authority and who he was. Uh, the promise, the gospel, is open to all people, not just the descendants of Abraham, and it's a spiritual lineage and a new and better covenant. If you want more information on this, a great book to read is the book of Hebrews. hope that helps you. All right, Vera wants to know, can you baptize yourself? Well, we get this question every once in a while. People, for some reason, wonder if they could do that. Uh, maybe it's just a hypothetical wondering, or maybe somebody really wants to do it. I don't know, but I always think through the same things. First of all, there's no example in the Bible 
uh, every baptism in the Bible, somebody baptized somebody else. Uh, so there's no biblical example. But then I think, well, hypothetically, uh, let's say you're stuck on a desert island. Uh, you find a Bible somehow, and you read it, and you think, well, I need to be baptized, and there's nobody there except you. Well, in that case, I'd advocate baptizing yourself. <laughs> I don't know how well that would work or what you'd say or anything else, but uh, I think it would be better than not. But that's very hypothetical, pretty unrealistic uh, situation. Uh, baptism would matter your heart and God, and God's going to figure all that out. But after thinking through those things, uh, I come back to this. Uh, why would somebody want to baptize themselves? Uh, the purpose of baptism is partly to witness to others uh, that you're committing your life to Christ. Now, now, I know it is when the Holy Spirit works the regeneration, and I, I know it's when we're united with the Lord and all the important things of baptism. But part of the reason God came up with it is it is a witness to others that, yes, I am publicly proclaiming that I'm going to commit my Lord's uh, life to the Lord. So why would you want to do that without any witnesses around? There's no reason to keep it secret. Uh, I think it's best to have somebody baptize you. I think it's even better uh, to have as many witnesses as you can. Invite your family, invite your friends, uh, commit before them what you're doing. Uh, uh, it's good to have somebody perhaps baptize you that helps lead you to Christ. That would be a good a good thing to do. A lot of parents baptize their children these days. Uh, lots of different ways to do it. But the purpose of baptism, one purpose of baptism, is a witness. Uh, so I would say, yeah, I guess you could baptize yourself in an extreme situation, but I don't know why you would want to, and I don't think it's the best idea. So that's my, my take on that. Let me take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you, uh, Churches of Christ provide this program for you and we like to uh, acknowledge a few of them each week today let's talk about our partner up in iowa if you're watching this program on the rock island channel uh, the burlington church of christ in burlington iowa is our partner up there and helps us stay on the air and take care of a lot of the mechanics of uh, broadcasting up in that area so we appreciate those folks a uh, good bunch of folks. David Baker is a minister there. I know you'd enjoy listening to him, meeting him, uh, and the rest of the family of God at the Burlington Church of Christ. So drop in there sometime if you're looking for a church home and live in that neighborhood. Or maybe you work or live next to some member of the church there. Tell them, I saw you advertised on church on TV the other day. I watched that Know Your Bible, and I appreciate you keeping it on the air. We thank them. You thank them. Uh, Whatever market you're watching in, there's a Church of Christ near you. I invite you to drop in and uh, visit them. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, what yes, do you got? a question about uh, cross-dressing. Is it a sin for people to wear clothing of the opposite sex? Well, my assumption is that you're not talking about you know, just being silly, you know, dressing up in a program or a play or something like that, just being kind of funny. Um, in, a, in, in that sense, it's probably not really a problem with it, but there is a problem when a person uh, dresses as a, to, to represent the gender that they are not, um, to, to go against their, how they're created. 
that's a problem because God made a person as a male or a female. Uh, he's pretty clear that's, <laughs> it's, you know, I know it's popular in today's culture to say there's a multitude of genders, but not with God. Uh, there's only two, and they're male and female, and they're a pretty simple way to tell which one you are. So when you're cross-dressing, a person is trying to represent uh, the gender that they're not. And in the, under the old law, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, it's very clear. It says, a man shall not, uh, excuse me, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. And the, the reason it's an, uh, an abomination is because you're taking on a different identity than, than what you were created to be. So, you shouldn't do that. Uh, you should be what God made you. Uh, and what God made you is pretty clear. Matthew, uh, Jesus was clear about this. He's talking about marriage. He says this in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And so, uh, yeah, you should, you should be what you are and dress like that and not misrepresent yourself uh, you ask, is it a sin? I would say it is a sin. Uh, and like all sin, sin can be forgiven uh, if one <clears throat> repents and turns to Christ. I hope that helps you. All righty. A viewer says, I'm unfamiliar with the Bible. Where should I start reading? Well, great question. And we're glad that you're watching Know Your Bible. And we hope that we help you know your Bible a little better. But uh, you've taken our advice and said, okay, I want to read the Bible for myself. Uh, where do you start? Now, couple of different suggestions here. One, if you know nothing about Jesus, uh, the Bible, anything, uh, I would, first of all, get a good translation that's readable. And uh, if you've got Grandma's King James laying around and start trying to read that, there's going to be a lot of words you don't understand. Uh, it's going to be a little harder to read than some of the more modern translations. So I'd start with a English Standard Version, New Living Translation, uh, New American Standard, something like that, uh, that's in more of today's language. So get a good Bible first. Uh, I would suggest reading the book of Luke. It'll give you a biography of Jesus' life. And then go to the book of Acts, which is the second part of Luke's history. And he tells about what happened after Jesus went back to heaven. So those two little books pretty well give you the New Testament story <clears throat> to get you started. You learn about the life of Jesus and you learn about the starting of his church. Uh, overall, if you want to really under get the scope of the Bible, uh, I'd recommend a chronological Bible. <clears throat> uh, you can start at Genesis and just read through, uh, but a chronological Bible puts everything in a Chronologi chronological time and helps you understand a little bit. Uh, so a good chronological Bible will introduce you to the Bible in a unique way. So those are some of my suggestions. Uh, Bible correspondence course is a great way to get kind of an understanding of the Bible. Uh, start that first course and you'll learn about the Old Testament and the New Testament just to get you started. So uh, those are some suggestions and I applaud you for wanting to study your Bible. Get started.
All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. Uh, what two men passed the injured man before the Good Samaritan helped him? Famous story of the Good Samaritan and Jesus said first a priest came by and then a Levite came by and they went to the other side of the road and ignored the injured man. Uh, religious people is what Jesus was talking about there and then the Samaritan helped. Glad you've been with us today. Hope you come back next week. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.